0: Why don't we turn immediately to Scripture? I just have a <clears throat> couple of opening statements maybe to make and then as a precursor to bringing what I believe the Lord has laid on our hearts. Please turn with me, to please, to First um, Timothy. It's a familiar piece of 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 Scripture. <clears throat> now I've got my Scripture wrong. Second Timothy, sorry. Oh, am I? Yeah, 2 Tim- Timothy, chapter 3, and just really the opening verse here. But know this that in the last days perilous times will come. And I don't want to unfold the next verses but I challenge you tonight this afternoon go home and read what is actually said in these remaining verses. Paul is addressing Timothy he's warning them of what will take place in the end of end of time before the coming of Christ. Paul makes it clear, but know this that in the last days, perilous times will come. We are facing a period of church history, not just world history, but church history specifically. We are facing perilous times perils from without, perils from within. So many things are transpiring. So, what should the church be about? Well, we're not left to having to sort that out. Turn back, and this is where. I just juggled the passages. Turn back to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. What should the church be about? What should its substance be? Verse 14. 1 Timothy 3, 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. If the perilous times are upon us, it's going to affect the primary thing that the church is established to declare, the truth, the ground and pillar of the truth. Who is the truth? Amen. He is the truth, the life, and he's He's the way. This is where we must then know how we are going to respond in the days in which we live. Days where we're finding persecution more and more. Would you consider this for a moment? You've probably heard of the book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. It recounts so many who have given their lives for the purpose of the gospel. But would you consider that probably in their last 200 years, maybe 150 years, there have been more souls who have been taken from the face of the earth because of their testimony than all the preceding years since Christ. When you add up the atrocities against the church, and in sometimes they have been done even in the name of Christianity. We find ourselves that we are living definitely in perilous times, days of darkness. Yet Christ has come and He is the light. And it was even read this morning if the light is within you, knowing Christ. The title of my message this morning is part of a series called called Stand Firm in Crisis. Stand firm in crisis. This message, its title, A Paradox. To stand is to kneel. Thumbing through the passages of scripture, reading of great testimonies of heroes of the faith, I've always concluded the only example we can have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we come around the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge to us to have ears that are open to hear, hearts ready to receive. Lord, eyes that have had this salve, Lord, placed upon them so that they are able to see that which you would plan for us and purpose for us this morning. Lord, we're not left to our own devices. We thank you we have the Word of God, to show us and to bring revelation. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe upon it and take what is even spoken, Lord, the feebleness of trying to break bread. And Lord, apply your Word to our hearts that we may have life and sustenance and live and move and have our being in you. Help us now as we come around your Word in Jesus' name. Our text this morning specifically is Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. But we're going to look at that passage as well, Matthew 26, verses 30 to 46. To believe, if you will, that there is no crisis is really to deny the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of our adversary, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. We're aware that We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what do we wrestle against? Principalities, powers, against spiritual forces in heavenly places. Which then exposes the very real fact that the crisis has been evident before we even have taken our place on the face of this earth. It reaches all the way back to when Lucifer challenged the Almighty back, then also at the revolt in the garden that took place. But glory be to God. This has been arrested at Calvary this morning. There is victory for all who would trust in Him and place their life completely, solely in Jesus Could we maybe turn this fold back off? I uh, I change my voice up and down all over the place, and that would help me. I will try and keep my volume as best as I can under control. But sadly, I get a little bit passionate about the word of God. (laughs) The Prince of Expositors, as he's been known, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan wrote in his systematic of Christology, the crisis of the Christ. And I quote, In all the works of God, there is to be discovered an unwavering method of process and crisis. The process is slow and difficult to watch in its progress. The crisis, sudden and flames with light, which flashes back upon the process. It explains it, and forward indicates a new line of action, which after all is the continuity of that which has preceded it. Jesus Christ's life and ministry is always our example. And we see in the seven specific crises of his life, and we draw for them such an immense theological sound basis. First, the incarnation. God became man. He took to himself something that he wasn't before. Human flesh and frailty. God stepped down into time. The baptisms of Christ. Both water baptism and, the Holy, and baptism on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming Upon him, and John bearing witness, this is the what does he say? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John beheld our Savior and recognized this one is the Messiah. The temptation of Christ, those those accusations that, that our enemy leveled against our blessed Lord and Savior. Inversely, they have their, their, their end in how John penned it in his letter. All that is in the world in the letter of John, chapter 1 and verse 3. Sorry, 1 John 3. All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. These are same tactics that Satan used when he approached Christ. You'll, you'll see when you look at them closely. They're aligned. Christ experienced the same attack as we would, yet he sinned not. The transfiguration, this incredible experience that Peter, James, and John were were able to see and bear witness to. Peter allowed his mouth to run away with him. Lord, should should we make three tabernacles one for you, one for Moses? And for Elijah, he didn't know what to do. He saw the brilliance and the radiance of Christ Almighty in His power and sovereignty. Yet he was man. Yet he is God. Transfigured before their eyes. And the voice from the Father said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Hear ye Him. The crucifixion. What a crisis this is. And if it stopped there, we would have reason to to wonder whether there was any reality to our Christian walk and life. But as explained this morning, Christ, our propitiation, our sacrifice, the one who bore, yes, all sin. But friends, you've got to take it further than the world's sin. You have to understand that you are a sinner who needs salvation. And unless we recognise that we are lost, dead in our trespasses and sins, there's no way that we would recognise that we need a Saviour. Christ died for my sin. Christ died for your sin. Blessed be His name that He did. But it didn't stop there. The sixth crisis, what? The resurrection. That now because he is raised by the Father, we have a hope. A hope that we will too be raised. Raised with Christ. Raised with brothers and sisters. Raised with those who have gone before. What a crisis. But what hope. And like a bookend, the last, the ascension. A bookend, the the incarnation and the ascension hold there. This is the testimony of God of how He was going to deal completely with the sins of the world. Jesus. Jesus. Don't you remember that chorus? Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Oh, blessed hope in Him. Blessed name that we recall because it's not just the name, it's who is behind the name. God Almighty, with power and authority that has been given to him. All things are his. So when we are facing a crisis in our lives, and I want to try and explain this, that Christ is our only example in this. We flounder, we may fail, but Christ, perfect in all his ways, shows us how we are. Yes, to stand in the midst of crisis. But it's going to require something of your will, of your attitude, of your worship, to bring about a change so that we are to respond even in the midst of these dark times. These seven crises embodies the authorship of divinity and proves the plan and purposes of God the Father provided by the Son, and revealed by the Holy Spirit to every heart that has been transformed by the saving grace and power of God through Christ and through his work on Calvary. It is evident that the same process and crisis that Christ knew would be our example and experience. This being evident through the disciples who became apostles. And we know in Revelation that they became apostles of the Lamb because their lives would be required of them as testimony to a living hope that we all share in. What of Simon Peter? Firstly, he left the nets of familiarity and livelihood to follow Jesus, talked and walked with the Lord, asked to walk on water and found the substance of his faith lacking because the flesh always got the better of him. Received revelation from God the Father as to the incarnation of the Son. This passage in Matthew 16, where Peter declares, you are the Christ. This particular verse for me has been A source of great intrigue and revelation because I bear witness to the same revelation that that Peter had. When we walk through the process of coming to Christ, we have to get to a place where we ask, What is it that we truly believe? What is the substance of our faith? And Peter, here in Matthew 16, declares, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus' response is, What captivates me? Blessed. Are you Simon by Jonah? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but who has? My Father in heaven. Friends, and we can read pages on a we can read words on a page, and they can have no substance to us. But when the Holy Spirit takes that what has been written and penned and makes them alive in our hearts, and we see through the annals of time, what has transpired in our lives, coming to a place where we acknowledge, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He, can, he died for my sin. I believe that I am a sinner and I've now place my trust in Him. This is the substance of a, of a witness that Peter was entering into, maybe only capturing part of it. Yes, he recognised the Saviour, but he wasn't able yet to follow as he should, because Jesus finds him on the beach after the resurrection. And he talks to him because he's prepared a meal for Peter and the disciples. He's prepared breakfast for them and he talks to Peter in such endearing terms. Peter, do you love me? Do we really love him? Love can be used for so many things. Yeah, I love that shade of blue. I seem to always wear blue. I love that car. We're so flippant with the terms. The scriptures only hold the framework of two ideas of love. Agape, God's love, sacrificial love. And the other, filio, brotherly love. It leaves out the other two in Greek thought. Peter, do you love me? Are you my friend? He brings it down to that lowest level. Peter, are you my friend? Lord, you know that I am. You know all things. And this was the restoration that Peter entered into. Yes, Lord, I believe and I can trust you at your word. No matter what life holds for me, I have learnt to trust and obey. Trust And obey. Yet Peter denied the Savior. Don't we know this? He was restored, filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, chapter 2. He bore witness to the resurrection, even in his own death in in 2 Peter 3 14 to 18. A crisis. A crisis is always a place, a valley, a mountaintop, in front and around, requiring decisions. Not necessarily just one, but many. A crossroad, however, is a decision that requires us to transit through. The greatest example of how one is to respond in the midst of crisis Is it, in my estimation, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? This is what we want to look at this morning. What did Jesus set down as an example and how can we then apply that to our lives? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26 and reading at verse 30. Matthew 26 and verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They sang hymns so good that we keep singing the incredible truths that are encapsulated by music when we sing the hymns. Yes, I don't mind choruses to a point. Sadly, many of them have become 7-Elevens. Seven lines sung 11 times and there's no depth, there's no reality. It's emotionally driven. But when truth is expressed, our hearts can latch on to something substantial and we can rejoice in all the wisdom of God and the glory of God. Verse 31, then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, "I will strike the shepherd, and the shepherd of and the sheep of the flock will be scattered." Note verse thirty-two. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Just as an aside. It is interesting to note the detail that is captured by the Holy Spirit as only John writes confirming the location to which the disciples returned to their former occupation, at the Sea of Galilee. Oh, I don't know about you guys, I'm going. I'm going to go back to what I know. And they went back to their occupation, fishermen, and they were found there. But Jesus prepared breakfast for them, and there on the shores of Galilee for each one, Peter specifically finds restoration, forgiveness, and commissioning for service. Verse 36, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Verse 39, our text. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again a second time he went away and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, Your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Gethsemane's crisis. You can find the harmony of this passage in Mark 14 and Luke 22. And even John does spend one verse, John chapter 18, just for your reference. Conventional wisdom would say Jesus was weak. Because he displayed emotion, he bowed himself to the ground, displaying such sorrow of soul. Verse 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Yet this carpenter was not physically weak. Our Lord was never insipid, never pathetic, never effeminate that we can find three distinct decisions as our lord faced this crisis verse 39 and he went a little further even in the company of companions there is often time we must go it alone This is said of the preacher and of the leader, the apostle, the prophet, the deacon. We always go in the service that is in public. We go further. We're called to go further. We're called to serve like no other. But what of the husband? What of fatherhood? What of friend? Do you go further? Do you take the situation as Jesus did? He went a little further, even from his companions, because it required him to have that communion with his Father so he would know surety, not his will to be done, but the Father's will. You must go a little further. For those in ministry and even in the home, we have a burden from the Lord that which our spirit is so uniquely yoked to carry. Others may not be so burdened, but you are. You who hear the leading of the Lord must go further. Further in denial of self. Further in sanctification of mind and in practice, body, mind, and soul. Further in travail of soul. And this is in response to the depth of responsibility, knowing that the sweetness of his presence, this fellowship, this koinonia, in that place of separation as we purpose to go Further. It's a decision that you have to make. Are you prepared to go further? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, and 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, Paul expresses, not all things are beneficial. Not all things... Benefit. I can do all things, but maybe there's an aspect where I should evaluate what I am doing so that I can go further. It may require loneliness. In fact, if you're going to follow the Lord and have His hand upon your life, rest assured it's a place of singular separation. Others may enter into so many things. But if you want to know the intimacy and the direction of the Lord, it will require you to separate yourself. It's a lonely life. As far as having close, intimate friendships and allowing the cares of the world just to sit alongside. But when we're alone with God, and purpose to follow him, we can't stay involved in mediocrity, singleness of heart, singleness of mind. Not all things are beneficial, Paul says. And he went further. Point two, verse 39 of that text. He fell on his face. Jesus was totally dependent on his Father. And as our example, there must be surrender, not to the crisis that we would find ourselves in the midst of, or in the terms of, or or, or submitting even to the terms of the situation, but to the Father himself, who calls us his sons and his daughters, who wants us to have fellowship specifically with him. It is there in weakness as it may be perceived. As we have turned to Christ, He and only He alone is made strong. Paul acknowledges his own weakness. And the Lord spoke to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8, where he relays concerning the things I plead with the Lord three times. that that it might depart from me, he writes. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in our weakness, in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me Is this your desire, friends? That you would have moved beyond the realm of acquaintances with the Lord, but pressed into that place where there is that sweetness of true fellowship, knowing that in the midst of crisis you may look weak, but he fell on his face and communed with his Father. Let me be clear this is not to excuse besetting sins. For the writer of Hebrews calls us to lay aside besetting sins, entangling entrapment if you will. The writer to Hebrews writes, run the race set before us. How shall we run we press towards the prize, don't we? Straining, everything concerted that I might gain Christ, forsaking the world as rubbish and loss, that I might apprehend him for that which he has already apprehended me. Oh, that we would have that sweet fellowship and communion even in the midst of crisis. Just think of it. The Lord knew the events, the progressive revelation of of what was going to happen. He knew his betrayer was coming. He knew the cross was awaiting him. Yet he spoke with his father. Lord, I only do that which pleases you. John records this. Philippians 3:12 we press on to what the prize of the upward calling Romans 12 familiar passages you've probably read them over and over you've probably underlined them in your bible passages that, that, that they do help us but so often we just read over them like we 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 we're, we're, we're in a car and we're running over a stereo player or a phone or something rather that's blaring out. We, we just trample it down. But when we spend that time to ruminate, to meditate on the Word of God so that it becomes life, it becomes bread to us, to sustain us. Romans 12, 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The action of self-abasement. Can I say true worship has nothing to do with the music? Has nothing to do with the music? Don't throw me out. Oh yes, we're going to put on some worship songs. I will have a few praised ones. What is that? The attitude of heart is worship. Yes, we may use worship as a tool, but it's a wicked master, I tell you, when we use emotion to control us. Find the revelation of who Christ is, and then you'll know how to worship because we will willingly bend our knee. To the sovereignty of Almighty God. True worship falling on our face, the right of priests. Jesus knelt in the garden. Who is he? Our great high priest. What does he do? Intercedes for us. To the Father on our behalf. We have this right of priests to bend our knee in worship. The privilege of sons to enter in. Therefore, displaying the proof of self, a selfless dependence. He went a little further. He fell on his face. What did he do last? He prayed. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Oh, dear heart, if there was ever a time to pray, it is now. It is today. In this last hour, there can be no other place we go but to the place of personal and secret prayer. It is not what you pray that makes the difference. It is, in my estimation, it is that you pray, that you commune with the Lord. For the crisis of the hour will rightly offer up the travail of the anguish of soul. If to bring any personal testimony, both Mandy and I have had those times in life where there are no words that can be said. There's no words to be offered up. The mind is dry. The heart is involved. It's, it's, it's impacting and it's hard and it's difficult. And there's, there's no words that would come out to express the depth of, Of what one may be going through. I know this was the case when our oldest son faced a health situation and a crisis where the doctor's reporting to us, we don't think we can keep him. They'll try, they'll do their best. Six weeks in hospital, nine surgeries to remove infection. Medically, he should be dead. There is no way that anyone has come back and persevered and resisted the infection that he had. At that time, we know this body of people, body of believers, many of you are praying for us. I'm praying for Joshua. I'm glad to say that even in those times, we could not speak a word to the Lord. Our hearts were moved. We knew that that the saints were praying. How important it is to bear one another's burdens in that way, what they are walking through, what you are travailing through. I'm glad to report that our son is married, living in Cairns, working, serving the Lord with his wife. We all have testimonies, don't we? We all have situations, even though it's so black and so dark and the crisis weighing so heavy upon us, what will you do? How will you decide to deal with the crisis? Please. Don't take my advice. Look to Jesus. He went a little further, even from his companions. He fell on his face and he prayed. Leonard Ravenhill so rightly said, No man, no woman is greater than his prayer life. Can I say it another way that I've also gleaned over the years from another writer, and I can't remember who to attribute it to? To be much for God, you have to be much with God. I'm fairly sure that it was also Leonard Ravenhill who wrote that. How often do we turn first to the Lord when we're confronted with crisis? It can be a crisis of conscience. It could be a besetting sin. It could be a situation you can't control. Our Lord is our example. He went further. He kneeled in worship. He honoured his father and he prayed. Just consider Daniel for a moment. He was seemingly backed into a corner facing the ministerial association posse. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to remove him. Daniel chapter 6, reading at verse 9, if you want to turn with me quickly. Daniel 6 and verse 9, Therefore King Darius signed the written decree. Verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what did he do? he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. The crisis did not drive Daniel to suddenly, oh, what what do I do now? Uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, Yeah, what flavor? um, What do I do? Oh, no, no. Daniel was already knowing what he was going to do even in spite of a decree that meant certain execution. He did what he knew he had to do. He did what he was accustomed to doing. Are we accustomed to prayer? Are we accustomed to worship, singular, alone? It's great to be able to do it with the body of Christ, the expression of song and music is, is something that thrills my heart. I love music. I, I really do. If there is a trap for me, music can certainly take my attention very easily. Friends, don't hold up worship and as 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 being music. Worship is a life given in a basement before the authority, the supremacy of the living God and acknowledging him not just once but in everything. Where do you get your direction for your life? Where do you find what you are to do? And I'm not talking about going to the closet and saying, Lord, what should I wear today? He's our heavenly father. Ask your mother if you need to know what to put on. but in every situation and course of life. Where are you turning? What is troubling you? What is upsetting your soul? Where have you found security? It is Moses who I believe penned Psalm 90, Psalm 91 and 92. And in Psalm 91, if Moses did pen it, he writes, He who dwells, in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. That's a complete another message. Several messages. But it ties in To the thoughts, where are we turning in the midst of our seemingly dark days? Where are we turning when we know that things are going well? We can become so distracted. The Lord calls us always to remembrance of things to remember what has transpired, to remember his work, his grace towards us, his mercy, his long-suffering. The Psalms are full of the ability to remember from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The Lord's name is to be praised. And it's not the one I was thinking of, but... Um, uh, just escape my mind, the scripture. There's too many rattling around in there. <laughs> the faithfulness of God. We prove the faithfulness of God every day. That's Now it's coming. The mercies of God are new every morning, aren't they? And we recount at the end of the day, the closing of the day. He's been faithful. Today, we can know his faithfulness. Yesterday, did you... Thank him for his faithfulness. This morning did you say, Lord, your mercy extends to me. I'm not consumed. Your wrath is against the wicked. But Lord, you have caused me to enter into that relationship where you call me a son. We have no right to claim anything. God's word claims us. Because he stands behind it. We just enter into all the fullness and wonder and majesty of what he's provided at Calvary and what he's doing in your life now, where he has brought you. That great song he has led us by fire and by cloud to bring us to Zion, to look on his face. Oh, blessed. Oh, blessed be God that warm our hearts, friends, when we have put into operation in our lives the same process that our Lord and Saviour expressed to us, we go a little bit further, we fall to our knees and we pray. Corporate prayer, I was so warmed and encouraged, Mandy and I, on Friday night, with. The body came together to pray. Fervent prayer. Laying hold of the Lord. Pray always. Paul writes to those in Ephesus and expresses singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts. Pray always. Pray. Pray while you have the opportunity. Turn to him, for he is only willing to hear and to answer. So often we would turn rational thought to a rhetoric of defence and espouse our own justification. Yet, as the Lord demonstrated for us to follow We must turn first to the Father in prayer. We pray. We pray without ceasing. We pray away from the crowd. The place of sanctuary, the place of solace directs the saint who is a soldier to the only means he may stand firm. Come away. Come unto me. All ye who are weary and are heavy laden, he gives us rest. So the paradox this morning, friends. Are you standing in crisis? Well, if you are, then you will know that you have followed the example of our Lord. He went further. He bowed his knee and he sought The will of the Lord in everything. The paradox to stand is to kneel. Are you prepared to stand? Have you knelt? Are you kneeling? Where is your heart this day? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you challenge us And you remind us, and Lord, you're beckoning us to come. Come unto me, all ye who are weary. And Lord, you would give us rest. No matter what the crisis may be, it may be positive, it may be good, it may not be so. Where will we find ourselves? Will we be found praising you, worshipping you, loving you, consecrated, abandoned, and yielded up to you, we pray. Not allowing this world to rob us, But Lord, exchanging this life for the glory that is being revealed in us, the kingdom of God in you, that we may, Lord, know what it is to walk as you would have us walk, as you spoke so clearly to Micah. He has shown you, O man, and what does the Lord require? To act justly, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Oh Lord, may we truly be found in that place where we are communing with you. And Lord, that we are being directed in how we are to live, how we are to bear the testimony of Christ, that the Holy Spirit would be so evident, be being filled, so that we are living witnesses living martyrs martus the word witness that we would live for you and every day that you provide us breath you alone would see and be and receive the glory from our life as the moravian said that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering oh lord Get glory from our lives, we pray. Get glory from our hearts and, Lord, every decision we make, may it honour the blessed name that is above every name. The Lord in that day will not be ashamed. In that day, he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Oh, help us keep close to you, Lord. Not be taken away to the side, the left and the right. But, Lord, even in the midst of crisis, we will be able to stand. Having done all to stand, we stand having put on the whole armour of God. Help us, Lord. Help us to put you on. Because the whole armour represents Jesus. Every piece is you. Just like the tabernacle. Every piece of furniture is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, there's just something. About that name. Amen. Amen.